Amen. Amen. Welcome to February, where it could be uh, 40 degrees or 89 or whatever. You know, it seems like it's a a crazy weather pattern we're having, but that's okay. Um, I want you to know that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. That He's my Lord and Savior. And when I was seven years old, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've never, ever regretted that. You know, it's a blessing to me when we see young people coming to know Jesus in a personal way. Because we never know what God has planned for them. And it's a, it's a tremendous blessing. But I, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to pray for you. And then uh, we're going to get into the Word in just a moment. And we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. So um, I'll talk fast and you listen faster. Okay? But um, let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for all that you are. And God, we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And we gather together today to worship you and to say that we love you and that we want you and that we are here for you. Father, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts. And Father, that because of our time together with you this morning, that our lives would be forever changed. You're an awesome God. Worthy of our praise and there is none like you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. And it's in your mighty and precious name that we pray. Amen. You know, we've been talking about being the church today in this series that we're in. And today I want to talk a little bit about the flock of God. uh, Being the flock, if you will. In the Old Testament, I've got a lot of scripture references this morning. But in the Old Testament, one of the favorite images used to describe the relationship of God with his people is that of the shepherd and the flock. And I'm going to read a a verse out of Psalm 100, verse 3. It says this, it says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, and concerning the Messiah, Isaiah declared in Isaiah forty eleven. he said, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And one of the most beautiful pictures that we have of Jesus is found in the New Testament in John 10. John 10, verse 11 says this. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become One flock with one shepherd. I love that. You know, in the Old Testament, faithful priests and prophets were often referred to as the shepherds of Israel. And when Paul spoke to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, he made reference to the relationship between the leaders of God's people and those for whom they care in terms of shepherd and sheep. 
shepherd and the flock. But you know, the behavior of sheep and human beings is somewhat similar. We don't necessarily care for that connotation, but, you know, it's similar. I mean, think about our mob instincts, our fears, our timidity, our stubbornness, our perverse habits. They're all parallels of profound importance. But you see, shepherding the flock is a difficult task. Shepherding the flock is a difficult task. I mean, shepherd, sheep must be led to the water. They must be fed. They're not going to find it on their own. Sheep must be kept quiet and calm because they frighten easily. You know, a jackrabbit running through the pasture or a clap of thunder could cause the sheep to stampede for no apparent reason other than those mentioned. The shepherd must pull out any poisonous weeds in the, in the grazing land because the, the sheep can't tell the difference between good food and bad food. They just eat it all. Sheep have no way of protecting themselves. And they'll let coyotes and wolves kill them without putting up a fight. The only way they can do, get away is to run away. You know, Peter... As he approached the end of his life, he also spoke in these terms to describe the relationship between the spiritual leaders and the church membership. And it's no accident in the New Testament that the church is spoken of as the flock of God. The flock of God. The pastors are referred to as shepherds or really under shepherds over the flock of God. But you see, what I want you to understand is the flock is the possession of God. The flock is the possession of God. I mean, Jesus called his followers a little flock in Luke 12. And he registered with them the firm faith that the Father was going to be generous to them and was going to treat them well. And later he affirmed that there were other sheep who were not of this fold. When he says that term, flock of God, in the Greek there's a, there's a connection there. It's called a genitive, the of, and it's a genitive of possession is what it's called. The flock of God, it is ultimately, we are ultimately God's flock. Not man's, not the pastor's. We belong to God. We need to get that. We need to understand that. That that combination of words talks about God's possession of his flock. His possession of us. But listen. Just because we belong to him. That's no excuse for mediocre or bad behavior. We belong to him. It means that we can't take an office and be lazy about it. (laughs) You know, in some churches, any warm body will do to fill a position. I mean, if you have a pulse, 
Yep, yep, you'll do. We'll put you in as a leader, as someone who's in charge of something. But folks, this is God's flock. It's not my flock. It's not your flock. It's His flock. He's the one in charge. We need to get that. Because sometimes we're creatures of habit and sometimes we're lazy. And we want to press the easy button. And we want to just move through things and really not put a whole lot of effort into it. Oh, we just want to show up and be fed. But what about everything that goes into that prior to that? It's really nice when you sit down to a meal and someone feeds you. And it's all prepared. And at the end of it, you get up and you walk away and you don't do the dishes. But folks, there's dishes to be done. And it takes a lot. And we can't be lazy about it. You know, Alexander White, one of Scotland's greatest preachers, said this one time. He said, I would have all lazy students drummed out of the college and all lazy ministers out of the assembly. I would have laziness held to be the one unpardonable sin in all of our students and in all of our ministers. Believe me, you don't want a lazy pastor. You don't want somebody that is your shepherd, that is an under-shepherd from the good shepherd, leading you in a lazy way. But I want to tell you, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. You know, Dr. George W. Truett, let me give you another perspective here. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas for 50 years. And often... He was asked to take other positions in other churches. But he refused saying this. He said, I have sought and found a pastor's heart. And when a man has a pastor's heart, he loves the sheep and serves them because he wants to, not because he has to. In his closing comments, To Peter, following Peter's betrayal and and then Jesus' resurrection, Jesus gave him a threefold commission with a reference to the flock of God. He said this in John 21, verse 15. He said, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, "Tend Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of, Jonah, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Listen, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. He bled his lifeblood out on the cross for the flock, for the sheep, for you and for me. He purchased us with his blood. So we should always see the church as belonging to God rather than being an organization that belongs to people. 
He purchased us with his own precious blood. Because you see, the church is not a building. It's made up of people. People who are born again. People who have been born of the Spirit. People who have followed the Lord in obedience and been baptized and and, and proclaim Him as their Lord and Savior wherever we go. You see, the church is the flock of God. And God, as as our shepherd, He serves as a watchman for us. With eyes wide open. He's vigilant. He's alert. He's not a lazy shepherd. He's one that is our guard, our protector, our defender, who provides us security. He's our guide. Thank God we have God to be our guide. We need a guide. We need a leader. God is also the physician of the flock. He wants to heal our hurts. And most, most importantly, He's the Savior of the flock. God has brought about salvation for us. It's the Lord who seeks, who rescues, who restores prodigals and sinners like me and like you. He restores us. As we think about this, we recognize that under shepherds have been provided for the flock of God. See, the work of the pastor is to be a shepherd. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, we shepherd God's flock by preaching the gospel. I like that. I like that. Because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the ability to bring about salvation in someone's life. I can't save you. This church can't save you. Only Jesus and his gospel can save you. See, as many of you would attest to, my main motivation is to work hard at teaching and preaching. But preparation often requires long hours of tedious work. But as I consider each one of you, as I look out and I see you ready, wanting, desiring to eat some nutri- something of spiritual nutritional value, it makes my work light. Because I know that each one of you is worth it. That each one of you is worth it. I mean, I think about sometimes what the sacrifices that you all make just to be here on Sunday morning. Just to be here on a Wednesday evening. Just to come to hear some teaching. Just to come and renew your walk with the Lord. Just to come in faithfulness to Him and, and sit under the gospel. It has this, this way of recentering us. Because we're busy out in the world. And we need to come back to center. We need to come back to the Lord many times throughout the day. But when I see the sacrifice that y'all make just to be here, how could I not work hard? 
How could I not want to make sure that it's great? But it's not just teaching. The example that we give is huge. Puritan Thomas Fuller, he said this, he said, Teaching is like putting nails in the wood. But example is like hammering them deep. See, the good shepherd should be the pattern for each under-shepherd, for each one of us. The good shepherd loves the flock. Oh, he loves them. He takes care of them. He knows them by name. He leads the flock. He feeds the flock. He guards the flock. He increases the flock. He, He nurtures them and helps them to increase He rescues the sheep from their enemies. Now, whether the sheep are strong spiritually or whether they're weak spiritually or whether they're backsliding, they all need the love and the care, the protection, the direction, the discipline of the shepherd. You see, I would submit to you today that pastors and ministers see to every spiritual, physical, Material need that the flock has. And it's a great joy. It's a great joy and a privilege for me to shepherd part of God's flock. Y'all mean a lot to me. And I'm excited about where God has us going as a church. And it's very hard sometimes because there's so much more I would like to do. But I only have so much time. That's the commodity. Time. But there's no greater reward, no greater satisfaction than me seeing God's flock content, well-fed, secure, safe, and flourishing. What a blessing. See, in many ways, a pastor... Or minister. And I say that because we have many ministers who are on staff here at our church. We have many ministers who serve this body. And many of you that aren't on staff are volunteers, and you're ministers who serve this body. But in many ways, a pastor and minister has an impossible task, and sometimes a thankless one. No one should ever become a minister unless they feel the burden to shepherd the flock. But I want to caution you, church, not to set your sights too high for a pastor. Because if you do, you'll be disappointed. We need to remember that our ministers are human. They may have an area that they work in, but they're human and they struggle with sin just as we all do. And sometimes they may even fail. It's when we put them up on a pedestal and when we say, oh, they're right next to God. They're made of human flesh just like you and I are. We need to recognize that because sometimes we make bad decisions. Usually it's made because of wrong information or misinformation. But we're real people. And we've taken on a daunting task. And we desperately need 
the prayers of the flock. We need that. My dad used to say, when he was preaching, he'd say, I need the prayers and you need the practice. I heard that all my life. There's some truth to that. You know, ministers work a lot of hours. And sometimes the the, the joke is that they only work one day a week. But any of you that have hung around me very much know that's not true. And you know what? Our other ministers don't work just one day a week either. They work hard, and I'm thankful for them. But ministers spend a lot of time at work, but they also have to balance time with their spouses and their children in order to be good examples to the flock. So time will always be of great value to the minister. And I want to say the key is this, having a proper balance. Sometimes I feel like a plate twirler, you know? keeping all the plates going on a train that's run away on a mountain pass. And you're wobbling side to side and trying to keep it going. Oh, it's an image, I know. I feel it, I live it. But listen, my desire, my desire is to please God and to do everything that God asked me to do. And I usually feel like there's never enough time to get it all done. Most of the time I feel that way. But we also need to remember that the task of the minister in this life is to be faithful to God and to his word. That's his job. That's my job. That's that's your job. Don't look at people. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the budgets. Look to Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who is carrying this work. Not you. Not me. It's Him. It's His work. And He's established it and He's going to see it through. Because that's the kind of God we serve. But I want you to know something else. We have a responsibility to see our leaders and to, to, to be obedient there. I want In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I find tremendous joy in serving this body. See, in God's flock, every sheep is a shepherd, and every shepherd is a sheep. I mean, the pastor, as the, the shepherd of the flock, is, is responsible for caring for and, and seeing to the whole flock. However, In the church, we have elected leaders who also serve as shepherds. We have deacons whom we've set apart, and and they also serve as shepherds. We have Sunday school and connect group leaders who also serve as shepherds. So every member of the church is to be a shepherd to those within our sphere of influence. 
It goes along with what we teach and what we talk about, the priesthood of every believer. We shepherd one another, even as we are being shepherded by the Good Shepherd. But we walk this journey together. See, as is the case so many times these days, pastors are overworked. They are doing too much. And many times on the edge of burnout. But some of this could be eliminated by what I'm going to call shared leadership. Shared leadership. You know, it may mean having others on a pastoral or a leadership team. It may be having others walk the journey with you. And this is a biblical example. You think about Moses and what his father-in-law told him when he was uh, in charge of the children of Israel. He said, delegate some of those leaders among you who can help others also. Put some of those in charge of, of other things so that you don't have to do it all. And really, that's a biblical model. That's something, when I see the way our staff is, we have, we have a children's minister, we have, we have you know, a youth minister, we have a college minister. We, we, we need a senior adult minister. And, and, and I, I agree with that. But we all need these ministers in our lives who are serving as shepherds in these groups. Shared leadership is beneficial in protecting the pastor from pride. Think about this. Leadership is a ministry that can quickly lead to pride and then destruction. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. See, having godly leaders around me helps those in leadership to stay humble. Listen to what Paul said about the office of overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. He said, and, and an overseer should not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. This pride, this pride can lead to lust. It can lead to greed. It can lead to being power hungry. There's a lot of other hazards that this pride leads to. And by having people around you that kind of keep you grounded, that keep you on the ground, helps tremendously. I want people that are going to tell me, Ridge, you're not all that. And a bag of chips, you know. Box of ho-hos, something, I don't know. Shared leadership is beneficial, though, for protecting the pastor from pride. Shared leadership is also allows more people to be cared for. Obviously, I can't care for everybody all the time. And so by having a, a plurality of leadership, it helps. And as a church continues to grow, we're going to need more ministers and leaders for prayer, for service, for, for teaching. I would say also that shared leadership gives accountability on the teaching of doctrine. This is important because the pastor cannot preach whatever he feels like preaching. There's an accountability 
among those in leadership, among those who also teach. There's an accountability among other godly people in the church. And it's your job to say, this isn't right. It's your job to say, amen, when it is right. But so many times, we don't say nothing either way. And so what are we saying? We're condoning bad behavior. I pray that if I preach something that is not in God's word, that someone would say, that's not scriptural. That's what having people around you helps with. It helps keep us accountable. I mean, look at what Paul says about this in referring to to prophecy and people prophesying in the church. In, In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, he says this, he says, let me find it. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Can we say that word in church? Judgment? Because our society, in being politically correct, doesn't want anyone to judge anything that anyone else does. And that's not scriptural. Paul just said, let two or three prophesy and let the others pass judgment. Either what they're saying is true or it's not. Basically, he's saying the others should weigh carefully what is being said. See, in the same way, our leaders help judge and protect the church from error. When one of the the flock teaches, the other leaders should be testing what is taught. Make sure it's biblical and healthy for the congregation. See, in Acts 17, the Bereans were called noble because they were testing what Paul was teaching. Shared leadership also brings victory and safety through the wisdom, their wisdom in decision making. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, "Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory." Solomon, he said, "A nation will fall without having wise advisors to make a victory sure." You know, a nation might have a president, but that president has a cabinet. A secretary of defense and so forth. Someone, a a committee on budgeting and and so forth. But you see, we need a multitude of wise counselors to run the government. How much more the church who is dealing with eternal issues and not just temporal issues. How much more does a church need wise advisors? I would also say that shared leadership brings continuity to a church. Often when a pastor leaves a congregation, and it happens way too often, but when a pastor leaves a congregation, there's a tremendous amount of instability. In the process of finding a new pastor, the church often loses some of its members. But what I'm saying is that doesn't happen as much when there is a ministry core that is in place. The stability is still there in place. See, the most ideal setup 
is raising leadership up from within the church in order to have a stable congregation. And I'm almost done. And lastly, I want to say something about this. And don't sidestep it because it's last and because it's shorter. This is very important. There's also a shepherding responsibility in your home. Not only here at church, we have an an opportunity to to shepherd here in the different groups that we are involved in. But there is a responsibility to shepherd in your own home. And I'm going to be very clear. Dad, husband, it's your job. It's your job to be the shepherd. To be the one to step up. To say, no, we're not going to do that. To be the keeper of the gate. It's your job. That's biblical. Ladies, if he's not doing it, somebody must do it. I know that our society does not champion that. But we are the flock of God. And you have a responsibility to shepherd your children, your family, your grandchildren, to be the keeper of the gate, to help as much as you can to keep them in the flock of God, to keep them with the flock, to help them have those good godly influences in their life. And it may mean turning the television off. It may mean shutting the cable off. It may be shutting the computer down. It may be taking away their cell phone. But whatever you have to do to be the shepherd in your home, you need to do that. I think I'm making myself clear. Thank you. Because I know that that is part of our issue as a society. We are to shepherd the flock of God. Listen to what Peter promised. Those who are faithful and devoted in their service as shepherds. 1 Peter 5. He says, Therefore I exhort, I encourage the elders among you, as your fellow elder... And witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. To the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We have a charge to keep, and it's up to us to keep it. We are shepherds, so shepherd the flock of God. The one that's in your home, the one that's in your church, the one that's in your community. Not exercising and and, and lording it over them, but exercising leadership and, and being the shepherd for them. Because you see, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the door of the sheepfold. Jesus 
is the door out. He's the door in. He's the door through. He's the door up. And all I can encourage you to do today is let Jesus be your shepherd. Then you too can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want.